Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Today I'm going to be reading from uh, the Bible and we're going to be reading the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, You'll see on the screen the Old Testament readings. Um, We're going to be um, hopping around a wee bit. So um, from Deuteronomy before we then go go into the New Testament and Mark. Um, So, Deuteronomy chapter 16, 17, and 18, and I'll be reading the parts that are on the screen. Chapter 16, 18 through 20. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Chapter 17, 14 through to 18, 2. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settle in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all of the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. The Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to, be, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. Chapter 18, 14 through 22. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery and divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what the Lord your God at Horeb on that day of assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. I will tell them every, I will, he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is a message that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Moving into the New Testament to Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45. Mark 10, 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teachers, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, 
you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for the ransom of many. Thanks, Ruth, and thanks, Cindy, for praying. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Simon. Uh, I'm lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's nice to see you all. Um, if you were tempted to close your Bible, don't do that. Or if you have, open it up again to Deuteronomy 18, 19. We're going to get back into Deuteronomy uh, today. Um, after we paused just for one week last week to celebrate our fifth anniversary as a church plant. Um, and... Uh, I'm still getting over how ugly the cake was um, from last week, but uh, also um, how good it was to celebrate um, our life together uh, and those who've gone um, before us. Um, We are uh, about to get into the Word of God. Um, Before we do that, I've just got a couple of things to do. One is... um, If you're a regular here, you'll know that up the back, uh, right where Carl is kind of standing, is um, sort of our welcome table, I guess it's called that, um, or it's our resource table. On that table are a whole bunch of books and other resources which are all free uh, for you, um, and there are resources there for you if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you'd like to find out more about Jesus. We've got copies of the gospel. Um, If you're a new Christian, there are some resources there for you as well to get you going in the Christian life. Uh, Also, some other resources there, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while longer and you're keen to sort of dig even deeper, uh, some resources there. So everything on the back table is free. Um, I just want to alert you to one new resource that's on the table. Uh, It's called uh, Truth on Fire, Uh, Gazing at God Until Your Heart Sings. Uh, This is a pretty much a brand new book written by a guy named Adam Ramsey, who is the the leader of the Acts 29 region of New Zealand, Australia, and Japan, of which we're part of as a church. Um, Adam's a great guy. He's a church planter, runs a church up in Queensland, um, and he's written this book, Truth on Fire. Uh, Basically, in a nutshell, he's trying to kind of connect our head with our hearts or our hearts with our heads, Uh, that the Christian faith isn't just pie in the sky when you die. Uh, The Christian faith has real meat to it, Um, and it's a a reality, it's a truth that sets our hearts on fire. Um, So maybe you're here today and uh, you kind of go, I know the good news of Jesus, I, I know the depth of that, but I don't feel it. Maybe you're someone who feels it, but maybe you want to connect it to some good truth. Um, This is a great book for you. I've read it. It's really great. Um, Get it today. It's free. Otherwise, you have to pay for it online. There you go. Um, So a few copies of that. I can highly recommend it. Um, An excellent, excellent resource there. Um, uh, Just before we do get into the Word of God, I just wanted to make um, just a a briefish announcement or uh, say a few words just off the back of um, our celebration um, last week. Uh, here at North Adelaide as we celebrated our fifth year. Um, I just want to say over the past week, uh, the elders of City Light Church North Adelaide have received numerous messages from members of our church, both male and female, expressing concerns specifically about the exclusion of women from the time of prayer during our fifth anniversary celebration last week. Um, While the time of prayer... Last week, um, I believe, was initiated with really good intentions. We feel that its execution had an unfortunate byproduct of separating the, or of separating the value of men and women in regards to prayer. Um, given this, we felt it necessary for the sake of our family unity and our co-mission uh, just to make four clarifications. Uh, firstly, here at City Light Church North Adelaide, we celebrate the reality that under God, men and women are better together in promoting the gospel and living out the Christian faith. Secondly, we, along with Acts 29, uphold that men and women are together made in the image of God, equal but different, are one in Christ, and saved by God for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. Thirdly, We believe that the scriptures make clear that God has given to all Christians the gift of prayer and that the prayers of men and women are equally effective before God. 
And fourthly, in the words of the Apostle Paul from his letter to the Galatians, words that have been shared already this morning, we agree, quote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Galatians 3:28. And so we affirm that neither race nor class nor gender prevents anyone from experiencing the love of God in Christ and participating in the life of his local church. Um, I share that today, and if you'd like to discuss these things with someone, you're very welcome to discuss it with me. Uh, You're very welcome to discuss it with Sam, our other elder, um, and um, Adele, my wife, has also um, offered to be someone to talk about these things with if you want to do that. Um, But I'll leave that with you uh, to digest and uh, to think upon, uh, just in response to last week. With that, let me pray as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that indeed uh, we are all one in Christ Jesus, all those who turn, have turned by your grace to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins and hope of eternal life. Father, as we've been praying for, for many months and almost two years now, um, we pray, Father, that as we do life together in light of your word and your spirit at work in us, we pray that indeed we would be a, a church that is stronger Uh, growing in our unity and, Father, more zealous for contending for the good news of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, now as we turn to your word, uh, Father, please help me to speak faithfully and with power. Father, help us with the ears that you've given us. Help us to, to hear you this morning. And so, Father, we pray that by your spirit, through your word, we'd hear, we'd see, and we'd love the Lord Jesus more as we leave today than we did when we arrived. And we ask this for our joy and the glory of you and your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're new to City Light Church North Adelaide, I've, I think I've developed a habit. Maybe it's a good habit. I don't know. You can, you can talk to me about this later. Of, of t- getting you to turn to the person next to you and discuss something before we get cracking with the sermon. I'm going to do the same thing this morning, all right? So here's, here's, what, here's what I want you to do. Turn to the person next to you and ask the person, get in quick if you don't want to answer this, have you ever thought about being a politician? And if so, why? Um, turn to the person next to you. Um, would you ever become a politician? Have you ever thought about it? Go for your life. All right, all right. Uh, quick, uh, quick, quick, uh, quick straw poll. Who, uh, who in the room, who in the room would be a politician? Kevin. Yeah, I'm Paul. Yeah, nice, nice. Oh yeah, politician. Yeah, great. Yeah, very good. Okay. Who, who like never, never. Yeah, like me. <laughs> All right, um, let's get into it. My, uh, I, I think my life hit an all-time low a couple of weeks ago. Um, let me explain. Um, usually when I'm writing uh, at work and writing sermons or reading theology or preparing for one-to-one catch-ups or other meetings, um, I find myself listening to cool tunes on Spotify or old Hillsong classics on YouTube. Um, the melodies I find and the, often the, the, the lyrics are inspiring uh, and they sort of carry me along and energize my efforts. But not so a couple of weeks back. Uh, rather than getting lost in the wilds of electronic beats with Armin Van Buren or glorying in the victory of the cross with Darlene Check, I was watching the live stream coverage of the Redbacks the South Australian Red Blacks, playing a one-day cricket match and concurrently, on the other half of my screen, watching Question Time in South Australian Parliament. Yes, I switched off Armin Van Buren, shut off Darlene and watched some cricket and watched Question Time. 
Someone asked me the other day if I was having a midlife crisis. I think this kind of confirms it, right? There you go. Uh, the cricket actually was exciting, uh, believe it or not. Um, our local boy, Travis Head, was scoring a record number of runs in a one-day match uh, at a local oval on the edge of the CBD. And question time was actually really exciting because the newly elected Speaker of the House, Dan Cregan, member for Covell, was dragged to the chair and began his new role. Just days earlier, right, Dan the Man Cregan had defected from the Liberal Party, become an independent, and within moments was the new Speaker of the House. As a result, he was all over the radio. Um, I, don't know, uh, I don't know what you make of political leaders, clearly by the fact that none of us want to be politicians, we have mixed ideas. I generally respect politicians, but they do tend to frustrate me, right, with their unwillingness to answer questions directly. Um, that just sort of kills me. I'm not here, by the way, to talk about what party you should vote for in the upcoming state or federal elections and things like that. But all the hullabaloo about Dan Cregan, Dan the man, uh, sort of reignited some thoughts for me about leadership. And it goes without saying that the people of Carville, by and large, love Dan the man. He's in the Adelaide Hills, he's kind of centred in Mount Barker. While the state Liberals here in South Australia have been claiming that he's betrayed his electorate, betrayed the party, that he's driven largely by ego and he's power-hungry and unhealthy desire for power, locals in Mount Barker think Dan's just a really good bloke who listens to their concerns, acts on their behalf, and behaves like an ordinary member of the neighbourhood. Here's a photo of Dan the Man Cregan. Look, just an ordinary man, you know, with his dog and on the property. Anyway, staggeringly like, he, one of the things that really surprised me as I listened to him and then listened to people talk about him, he just seems to serve the constituents. Now, of course, our motivations for anything we do are never pure. But as I listen to Dan, I'm an old guy, right? So I listen to old person's radio, ABC Radio, Adelaide. He does seem to be a leader who serves people. And it was actually kind of refreshing, to be honest. Now, we're back in the book of Deuteronomy. I hope you have it open in front of you. The people of God in Deuteronomy are about to enter the promised land. Moses has been standing before the people of God, pleading his heart out that they would follow God, not like the former generation who disobeyed God and perished before they got into the land. Moses is pleading, follow God, trust God, choose life. They're about to become a settled nation in the land. Moses, who's been leading the people up until now, he's going to die. And so the issue of ongoing leadership in the land needs to be addressed. And that's what we'll be thinking about today, leadership of God's people. So what type of leadership do God's people need? Um, in Australia, it's the constitution that determines our shape of leadership, um, who leads, how they lead, how they become leaders, how long they stay leaders for. That all comes about by human agreement. Israel is different. God's people were different. The nation of Israel hasn't been formed by human agreement. It's come about by God's choosing, by his grace. And this nation, unlike Australia, was to be a light to the nations, they would be different, and their leadership was to reflect that. Now, I think many of us who are Christians, right, those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus, as Christians, we're called to leadership, whether we like it or not. We are to be a light to the world, and in a sense, that's a leadership role, right? We are to lead people through our actions and through our words, through our lives, lead people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we are, on the one hand, just beggars showing other beggars where to find food, you'd agree. But we do lead people. So what should our leadership be like? We're going to explore this through the lens of Deuteronomy and then refract it, as we have been, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and see what stunning stuff kind of pops out the other end. Uh, let me tell you how we're going to work through today. If you're a note taker, three points. Firstly, we'll consider the categories of leadership in Israel. 
uh, Deuteronomy 16, 17, 18. Secondly, we'll attempt to discern an underlying principle that is the foundation of all those leadership roles. And then thirdly, we'll consider leadership in light of Jesus. They're the three points. Uh, so firstly, categories of leadership uh, in Israel. Um, what do we see the nation of Israel needing when it comes to leadership? Again, they're poised on the edge of the promised land. They're about to become a settled nation. Moses is about to die. What leadership are they going to need to be the nation that God wants them to be? Well, there are four main roles that are outlined in Deuteronomy 16, 17, and 18. They need judges, kings, priests, and prophets. Judges, kings, priests, prophets. Four roles. And in broad terms, they each relate to justice, protection, forgiveness, and direction. So let's consider each one of those roles briefly. Firstly, God's people need justice, hence judges. Uh, Moses told the people to appoint judges in each town. Have a look with me, Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town. The Lord your God is giving you and they shall judge the people fairly. So God gives the people freedom to exercise their wisdom in appointing judges, and these judges had to follow certain principles. They were to serve justice and justice alone. They were not to show partiality. They weren't to be impressed by the wealthy. They weren't to accept bribes. And in chapter 17, there's, there's more principles on view. So in chapter 17, there's a case of a capital offence. Someone is accused of serving and worshipping another god, which is considered treason. And the principles of justice are applied there. The case has to be thoroughly investigated to determine what the truth of the matter is. A judgment was only made on the basis of two or three witnesses to avoid error or falsehood. And if the case was too challenging for a local court, they would bump it up to the high court in the place that God had chosen for that place to be. And the court was to be respected and contempt of court was a serious matter. I don't know, if you hear that, many of these principles we find in Deuteronomy underpin our own justice system. You know, what do we say? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The principles of, of checks and balance we find in our justice system today find their origin in the Deuteronomic Code. One of our high court judges of old, just he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but just would read the Deuteronomic Code, what we find here, and just go, it's amazing. It's foundational. God's people needed justice, so they needed judges. Secondly, God's people needed security and they needed protection, hence a king. Look with me at Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. Uh, when you enter the land your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Now, now, kingship in Israel was always going to be a little bit of a tricky and a little bit of a delicate issue. Why? Because God was king. He saved them. He fought for them. He provided for them. He protected them. Yet Moses anticipates here that the people want a king in the future on planet Earth. It's delicate because God was their king and in one sense, their desire for a human king was sort of a rejection of Yahweh, the true and living God, as king. Yet, at the same time, it was God's plan to set a human king over them. But this king had to be different, very different to all the other nations. He wasn't to be a warmonger. He wasn't to be a political tyrant. He wasn't to be greedy. He wasn't to have many wives. That's what the kings of the nations were like. But the king of Israel was to be different. Now you can see how Israel having God as their king, Yahweh, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, you could imagine them, God's people, becoming, coming up with some, like some sort of expansionist policy, right? 
We've got God as our king. We've got the best legal system on the planet. Let's take over the world. I mean, I'd be inclined to do that. But Israel wasn't to do that. Israel wasn't to build an empire. They were to build a lighthouse where other people would be attracted to them, drawn to them, that they would be a blessing. It's interesting, isn't it? Israel, the the people that Moses is addressing are poised on the edge of the promised land. When they get into the promised land, the boundaries of that land are fixed, right? They weren't about to change. They weren't to conquer the nations with a king, but to attract the nations through blessing. They were to be a light to the nations, and the king was to protect the lighthouse, so to speak. So they needed judges, hence, they needed justice, sorry, hence judges. They needed protection, hence a king. Thirdly, God's people needed forgiveness, hence Levites. Uh, Take a look with me at Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 and 18, verse Five, uh, the Levitical priests, indeed, the whole tribe of Levi, to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name always. Let me show you a map. We all like maps. Can anyone see that? There you go. It's a, it's a map. It's a, you, you can't, can you? I can barely see it. But anyway, um, that's a sort of just a, a picture of the allotment of the land God gave to the 12 tribes of Israel. So God's people are made up of 12 tribes, um, and the allotment of the land kind of looks a little bit like that. The interesting thing with the Levites, right, they weren't given a, an allotment of land. They were to be, see all those black dots all over the place? They were to be scattered throughout the lands, the towns, in serving the people. They lived all over the land. Now, Levites were often local judges, yet out of this tribe came priests who had a very special role. They brought people close to God through offering sacrifices on their behalf according to God's word, enabling a sinful people to be in relationship with a holy, perfect God. In other words, they provided the basis for forgiveness and as such, they were like the glue of society. And so the other tribes had to provide for them. That was their role. Judges, kings, priests, fourth leadership was they needed direction, so prophets. Uh, Let's look at 18 verse 14. Deuteronomy 18 verse 14. Uh, The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, rescued, loved, redeemed people of God, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And then the section goes on to talk about a number of prophets who would come. Do notice that Moses says that the Lord will raise up a prophet in the future. Just as Moses gave direction to the people of God, another prophet will come and provide direction like him. And so God would direct the nation of God, his people, by putting words in the mouth of the prophet or the prophets. Israel wasn't to listen to the divination practitioners or those who practice the dark arts of the nations around, but rather they were to listen to the prophets. And they were to test, and there were test supply to determine the truth of those prophecies. The prophets were kind of like covenant watchdogs. They'd bark at the king, or they'd bark at the, the priests if they were kind of heading off track. And it was a dangerous role, for they were dealing with powerful people. But they would provide checks and balances. Now, I don't want this sermon to be all about Dan Cregan, right? Um, and South Australian politics. Although one day, come and watch Question Time with me. It's fascinating. No, I don't want to feel all about Dan Cregan, but it's interesting. Historically, what, when someone was elected to the position of speaker in the House of Reps in South Australia, they would talk about dragging that person to the seat, that's the speaker's seat. Um, so when Dan Cregan was elected to the speaker role, it was like they just sort of pretended to drag him. Um, so they kind of, he stood up and people sort of escorted him up to the seat. Previously, like they had to 
dragged people kicking and screaming into this seat because it was a really dangerous place to be because you had to provide checks and balances and you, know, you weren't overly well loved in that role. It wasn't like you know, Dan Cregan right, got 150,000 pay rise and a car with a driver. You know? I'm thinking in the old days you had a security guard you know, and a machine gun. No, I, I don't know. That was a role of the prophet. It's a dangerous role. So those are the four leadership roles that Moses outlines. Judges, a king, priests, and prophet. Now we live, we live in a land with many checks and balances for which we ought to be thankful. We have a justice system, don't we, that on the whole works. When I was in Sri Lanka five years ago, uh, doing some Christian ministry, teaching the Bible to pastors and church leaders there for a couple of weeks, I experienced something of what it was like to live in a country where it was hard to trust those in authority. I spent time with a guy who actually happened to be a local architect and a builder, follower of the Lord Jesus, who told me that his house was one day raided by masked men. He was asked to kneel on the floor with a gun under his chin while the masked men pillaged his home. I said to him, like, did you report this to the police? He kind of laughed at me. He said, why would I report it to the police? He told me that when he was kneeling on the ground with the gun under his chin, all he could see as his head was down were the boots that were like the police issue boots of the day. That's all he could see. We ought to be thankful for our legal system that is built on a Judeo-Christian foundation. And I think it's nuts that the Western world would move away from such foundations. Underpinning, though, all these leadership roles, and if you're a note-taker, we're up to point two, is a fundamental principle. Underlying Israel's leadership is a foundational concept. You see, all these leaders were actually servants. Servants of God and servants of his people. They were servants because their leadership was always under God, always directed by his word. The word of God determined how they were to lead, how they were to behave. I don't know if you noticed that in our Bible reading. So the king, for instance, right, was commanded to read the word of God every day. Deuteronomy, imagine that, Deuteronomy, every day. Like you get it once a week. And the rest of the Torah, the law, to, in order to help him understand how God wanted him to lead and be the leader that God wanted him to be. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 verse 18, follow with me. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign long, a long time over the kingdom, his kingdom in Israel. Well, the prophet was to speak the word of God and not come up with his own ideas. You know, said in chapter 18, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words, the Lord says, in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. And a judge, a judge was to pursue justice and how was he to pursue justice? It was all to be shaped and informed by the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, which God gave. These leaders were servants, serving under God, serving the people, accountable to God, accountable to his word, which I don't know if you realize, it, it tended to break down pride that can be so often associated with hierarchy. The king was not to elevate himself above others. He was a brother amongst brothers and sisters. The priest wasn't to see himself as better than others. He was to do sacrifices for himself because he himself was just a sinner, a beggar among beggars. The prophet was not part of the establishment. He was a neighbor among neighbors. There's no room for pride. They were servants of God operating under God for the good of the people. 
Now in Australia, again, although we are built on Judeo-Christian foundation and values, our leadership is ultimately derived from the people and accountable to the people. We have a democracy here in Australia. However, Israel was not a democracy. It was what they call a theocracy, leadership derived from God, ultimately accountable to God. It's very different. Now you might rightly say, well, I don't like the idea of a theocracy at all. That leads to all kinds of abuses and tyranny. But democracy can easily lead to tyranny as well and abuse. A good friend of mine, his name's Xavier, um, I got to know him when, uh, years ago when I was serving as a student minister in Newport. He was a missionary with CMS uh, over in France. He was a pastor of a church in France uh, that functioned on democratic principles. The church had a, a formal membership, right, and they would vote at meetings. Uh, they could vote in the pastor, they could vote out the pastor. And as Xavier proclaimed the gospel and taught the Bible, some people in authority didn't like that very much. And they used the democratic process at various AGMs to pressure and even persecute my friend Xavier. Democracy can easily become a tyrant when the majority don't like a certain minority. And I guess leadership always carries with it the danger of tyranny and abuse because we're flawed, faulty and sinful people. And actually that's what happened in the history of Israel. The kings, the judges, the priests often abused their privileges because they didn't fear the Lord and follow his word. And so that nation was supposed, the nation that was supposed to be a lighthouse, a blessing to the nations around, failed. More on that next week. And God judged her. Meanwhile, though, the structures of judge and king and priests and prophets were upheld as an ideal. If you had leaders who truly served God according to his word and ways, things could be very different. Things could be really good. Now, as Christians, we know that these leadership roles, up to point three now, by the way, We know that these leadership roles have been fulfilled in a perfect and wonderful way in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Son of God, is the perfect judge. The one who made all things, who sees all things, who knows all things and will return to judge with perfect justice, making all things right. He's the perfect king who gave up his life for his subjects to protect them from the devil, from destruction, from deception, and ultimately from death. He's the perfect priest who made the one true sacrifice for sins and who through his body and his blood, through the power of the Holy Spirit, unites us to God the Father. And Jesus is the true prophet, the one whom Moses anticipated, the prophet who speaks God's definitive word that we must listen to and trust if we are in order to find life and life to the full. So the ideal leadership the Lord established in Deuteronomy has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And therefore Jesus becomes the model of true servant leadership. We see all kinds of leadership principles, right, that can be applied to our lives as Christians. You know, For those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who follow the true servant leader, there are all kinds of principles that we can adopt from him. So judging, for example. I mean, are we to judge as Christians? Well, that depends. We're not, as Christians, to judge the world. We're sinners, just like everyone else. But within the church, God's redeemed new people, called to be a light to the world. We are to judge. We are to purge evil. We are to judge when things go wrong. When there's sin in our midst, we are to call that out. We did 1 Corinthians a little while ago as a church, and one of the kind of standout passages on this issue is is 1 Corinthians 5. Where in the midst of the the people of God, there is a man who is sleeping around with his mother-in-law. And the church at Corinth is going, that's cool. That's cool, man. 
Like, we're free, we can do whatever we want. And Paul's like, you ought not to be proud about that at all. That is inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus. We had to judge that. He was to be discipled. Well, when we establish leaders in the church, we need to judge that their lives are above reproach, 1 Timothy 3. Or if someone accuses an elder, Paul says this, don't accept an accusation against the leader unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. So there are principles here for judging amongst ourselves. Well, what about Christians being priests? What about Christians being priests? Well, we no longer have special priests to intercede on our behalf. Um, I'm not a priest The Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest who intercedes for us. Um, Sometimes when I mix in other kind of denominations or church circles and people find out that I'm a a pastor, I work full-time in gospel ministry, some people go, oh, good morning, Father. I I look over my shoulder. I'm like, he's not here. Like, you know, know, or, you know, someone says, oh, hello, Simon, where do you work as a priest? I'm like, I'm not a priest. Well, I kind of am, but I'm not really. I'm a little pea priest, right? The Lord Jesus is our great high priest. However, I do think that all of us have a priestly role, right? 1 Peter chapter 2. We are a part of a royal priesthood. I like this expression that goes like this. It's good to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, but it's even better to talk about people. About, so it even, oh, let me start again. It's good. <laughs> oh, it's good to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, but it's even better to talk to the Lord Jesus about people. We intercede on behalf of others for their salvation and for their needs. We've got a priestly role in the world. I don't know if you've taken that on board as a follower of Jesus. One way to exercise that role, you know, sort of promote or little, put a plug in for our pre-service prayer, where we pray for all kinds of things, but one of the things is we pray for the salvation of men and women in the inner north. And we pray for the needs of the people in our church community. What about prophets? Well, we no longer need prophets in the Old Testament sense because God has given his final word through the final and greater prophet, Jesus. This is crucial when we're sharing the good news of Jesus with Muslim background people. Friends and colleagues who come from Islam Because the prophet that Moses spoke about is Jesus. You can check that out in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And yet at the same time, as we speak of Jesus and bear testimony to him and his truth and beauty and his relevance, that's actually prophecy. In Revelation 19, we're told that the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, we have a prophetic role as Christians in the world. We call people to repent of their sins, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. So we have a prophetic role. What about kings? I should have said right at the beginning, rather than being a politician, do you want to be a king? Are we to be kings? Short answer, no. There is only one true king. The Lord Jesus Christ whom God has appointed. Yet our leadership is to be modelled on his kingly leadership. Do you remember when the disciples grasped for the first time in the Gospels that Jesus actually was the long-promised Messiah, the King whom God had promised from way back. When they found that out, right, their world was turned absolutely upside down. We're with the King. Like, OMG, we're with the King. And so James and John, from our second reading, Mark chapter 10, two of the disciples, realising that Jesus was the King of the world, um, said, like, they jostled, right, for positions at his right-hand side and his left. The other disciples, I think they were a bit ticked off that they didn't get there first. Wow, they've beaten us to it. Damn it, they were indignant, the word of God tells us, right? Damn it, I missed out. They wanted prestige, they wanted power. But they were in the wrong. And Jesus, right, never slow to take the opportunity to give a lesson on kingdom values and leadership principles. He says this to them, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Listen to this. 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know about you, but every time, every time I read that passage, two things happen to me. First thought is, well, I'm not like James and John. Like, I'm not that bad. But then, like, in the next thought, I'm like, oh, I'm so exposed. I'm totally exposed. You know, there are times when I wish that ministry was more a throne than a cross. There are times when I am tired of sacrifice and suffering. There are times when I'm sick of conflict and challenge and I just wish that God could just use a little bit of his power to make it all a little less uncomfortable. Sometimes I don't want to serve. I want to be served. Not just by people around me, my family, you guys. If only they'd just make me another cup of coffee. No, I don't think like that. But I even think sometimes it'd be nice if I was served even by the one who saved me. God, in this way, I'm very thankful for the way that Jesus' word exposes me, and I trust you're thankful too. Um, in his book, Lead, uh, by Paul Tripp, he reflects on this passage of Scripture, Mark 10, 35, 45, in this way. Quote, he says this, Jesus makes it clear that we must not take the normal human models as our own. Gentile leaders loved their authority, loved exercising it, and loved reminding people of it. Jesus reminds the disciples that they haven't been called to lordship, but to servanthood. They haven't been called to flash around their power and position, but to carry around with them the mentality of a slave. Then he uses himself as an example. If anyone had the right to power, position, and authority on earth, it was the Son of Man. But he didn't come to exercise his power. He came, to ex- he, he came not to be served, but to serve, even to the point of death. We would all do well, Paul Tripp writes, to have Jesus as a more influential model of leadership than the cultural or corporate models we sometimes look to. End of quote. The servant nature of leadership roles in Deuteronomy, alongside the words of Jesus in Mark 10, is quite an indictment against entitled, demanding, bullying, power and position-focused Christian leadership. If you can even call it Christian leadership. As Christians... As leaders, we're not called to mastery, we're not called to control. We're all called to servanthood, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Our King served us. He gave up his rights. He suffered and laid aside his life to serve us. Jesus used his strength to serve. He used his strength to save. That's servant leadership. Christian leadership is modelled on Christ Jesus, who lived for his Father's glory and served his Father's children. Christian leadership, when rightly understood and discharged, is a beautiful thing to watch. And we all have leadership roles whether as parents or grandparents or teachers or DG leaders or ministry leaders or elders or simply being a Jesus follower, being a light in the world, attracting people to Christ, pointing people to Christ. We all have leadership roles. The question is, are we leading by serving?
Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we would be empowered by God's grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be joyfully willing as leaders to live out suffering, our suffering servant gospel. It's the very heart of why we exist in everything we say and do, wherever our Saviour has placed us. Let's pray together. Let's pray. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we ask that by your Spirit, you would make us more like your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, by nature, we're tempted to seek power, we're tempted to seek glory, and by nature, we're tempted to look after number one more than serve. And Father, so we need your supernatural help in this to turn us around, to turn us out, to be more like Christ. Father, in whatever leadership role we have, whether that's a, a specific role that we have been given or whether it's just simply as you've called us into your mission to be a light to the world, to point people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, Father, help us to do it in a way that is more, so much like Christ. Father, help us to use our strength to serve. Father, protect us from unhealthy seeking of power. And Father, we pray you would continue to raise up among us servant-hearted leaders, ready to do the hard yards, ready to even suffer for the sake of the gospel. And Father, we pray again, make us by your spirit more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.